Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series at the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Uh, hello, this is FEPS Talks. Uh, my name is Lance Luandor. I'm the Secretary General of FEPS, the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. And um, I have the pleasure to meet today in Berlin Professor Klaus Offer at the Hertie School of Governance, um, who doesn't need a long introduction. He's written uh, a large number of books um, in political science, sociology, and uh, probably a leading uh, expert on uh, what we call the welfare state. And his book about the European Union a couple of years ago, which was titled Europe Entrapped, also gave an insight into the state of affairs in uh, the European Union and why Europe is in a way stuck in a specific situation of development where moving forward or moving backwards would be equally difficult, but the situation is unsustainable. And this uh, analysis very much applies to what we call European social policy, which is an area where we are witnessing very interesting developments with the inauguration of the von der Leyen Commission. But we are here in Berlin at the Hertie School, and on the desk of Professor Offer, uh, there is a book with an interesting title, uh, written by Andrew Gamble, British political scientist. The title is Can the Welfare State Survive? Can we start with this question? Is sure. the welfare state still there? Can it survive? Can the European Union play a positive role in this? Okay, two things. One is that the European Union, according to the treaties, uh, relegates the field of social policy to member states uh, in the name of the S-word, subsidiarity, right? Yes. Uh, that is one thing. At the same time, much of what the European uh, Union does, including the currency regime of the euro, affects the capacity of member states to uh, develop and preserve social policies and the welfare state in very direct ways. So uh, subsidiarity is nominal, but not substantive. At the same time, we have a situation where uh, the common uh, currency, the euro, intensifies the competi competition among member states uh, as they cannot devalue or revalue their national currencies. They have been pushed in the direction of internal devaluation. And that is, uh, uh, and we saw this in the Greek crisis, that is a disaster. So we, we have a game in which tax competition and wage competition among member states plays a uh, important and, as far as the welfare state is concerned, often very destructive uh, role. And uh, now the uh, new commission, uh, of course, been earlier uh, insights to that effect, but the, the uh, new commission has made it a priority to constrain this competition or the effects of this competition mm -hmm. by uh, launching the idea of a minimum wages and uh, minimum uh, social conditions, uh, social pillar, 
So that, and the new president of the commission has given very uh, uh, encouraging uh, priority uh, to uh, these social issues, which also have the background issue to uh, control migration within mm -hmm. Europe. There is a push-pull mechanism mm. from east to west and all new member states uh, that is uh, the post-communist apart from one and a half Mediterranean islands are in an inferior position uh, as far as the economic development and the wage level and uh, prosperity is concerned and they All of them have lost between 10 and 22, I think, percent of their working age population mm -hmm. through migration. Yes. That is a disaster. And it leads to uh, political repercussion as we, that we see in your country, uh, but also in other countries, namely uh, a demographic panic uh, that then translates into what is now uh, a priority in political science, political research, namely uh, rightist, nationalist, populism, anti-migration, mm -hmm. and so on. You have written about this also. It's very interesting that you also point to demography as a result yeah. of the labor mobility, because my colleagues at the ULB in Brussels, they right. framed it as a slow-burning crisis as opposed to the fast-burning crisis at the time of the Eurozone. Right, um, yeah, yeah. slow-burning crisis, very good term, yeah. But if the slow-burning crisis is not addressed in time, right. of course, it, it can, can you know, uh, accumulate and uh, compounded uh, way uh, create uh, uh, just an impossible task for the policymakers. Absolutely, and and uh, the new book by Ivan Krastev and Stephen Holmes touches upon that from an East European perspective. But the political economy of this is not sufficiently addressed in, in the book. Anyway, so uh, the survival of the welfare state is um, conditional upon uh, a number of facts. This fiscal and wage cost competition in uh, Europe must be brought to an end uh, or it must be limited. And this is an open question to which that uh, top priority, as it seems, of the new commission uh, will uh, succeed. And uh, if it does not, then the people who depend on the functioning of the welfare state, unemployment and, and health and pensions uh, being the, the, the main pillars here, will have to suffer from this failure of the, of the commission. So it's, it is, apart from climate, it is the issue in Europe at the moment and the Commission evidently cannot no longer um, claim that this is a matter of member states. Mm. And don't you think the welfare state is wounded in any case by globalization? And the EU matters much oh, okay. less than globalization. Uh, okay, the EU is a, is a smaller version of globalization and the same mechanism, namely tax competition and wage competition, mm. play a role for national uh, economies. The EU has the advantage that it has some uh, governing capacity in place which can impose rules on these blind forces of uh, the market, uh, where it, uh, that is much less the case uh, in the global glo version of globalization. But there are many similarities, and we in Europe 
have to have the advantage that we have some mechanisms of control and we have mm. a policy capacity and we can govern the process. I mean, the WTO is much less able to do the same at the global scale. So let us stay with, with Europe. And it is now uh, the question whether this governing capacity is brought to bear on uh, social policy and uh, fiscal issues mm-hmm. or or not. And uh, it seems that there is some chance to, to, to escape from the trap, to uh, counteract uh, the dynamics of neoliberalism that constitute the trap. Uh, yes, uh, before going into details of the current agenda, right. like minimum wage coordination or unemployment reinsurance, yeah. let me ask the following question. Um, of course, it's not beginning just now that the European Union is making an effort. Uh, if you look back uh, about 20 years, at the mm. late 1990s, there was an effort to develop the so-called employment strategy, open method of coordination, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. the Lisbon strategy. Yeah. Yeah. If you look back to those times, how would you evaluate the significance of that? Did it bring some kind of lasting legacy? Or you would say it was just a stepping stone towards more robust social policy coordination? At best, a a stepping stone, I I would say. I mean, we do not hear much of the open method of coordination, which was a a policy soft soft governance uh, instrument applying to, at some time, 25 areas, policy areas. Nothing much remained of this. And uh, so uh, it was part of the learning process that we need more than uh, Mm -hmm. open method of coordination. The uh, Lisbon strategy of 5067, 70% of the working age population should be in gainful activities, 60% of women and 50% of the uh, age categories 55 plus. Mm. Uh, This was the idea to increase labor market participation First, for the sake of product production and productivity, but second, for the sake of financing the welfare state. Right? You needed all these people in order to pay contributions, in order to sustain the elderly. Right? That is uh, the, that is the logic. That has not uh, uh, succeeded either. I mean, I, I think there were two or three countries at the time. Do not remember, but not more. Uh, the Scandinavian countries, of course, who uh, met all three uh, mm-hmm. standards. All the others were fading, right? And you cannot really generate. That is one one of the basic problems, in my view. You cannot generate additional employment, which is necessary mm-hmm. in order to sustain the welfare state, because. Much of the gainful activities are either uh, taking place elsewhere, that is the minor problem, mm-hmm. that is manufacturing takes place in the Far East, right? Mm-hmm. To a large extent, German industry has not understood this very well, but uh, all the others have. And the other is uh, a technological change. I mean, technological unemployment is not reliably compensated Uh, through the expanding service sector, which itself is suffering as to its employment uh, capacity uh, from um, two threads. One is digitalization of services, Mm -hmm. 
I mean, you remember, uh, there was a profession and the important branch of service sector, travel agencies. Yes. I mean, they are no longer... The young people do not understand what it is, a travel agency, right? Um, so, uh, and the other is self-service. Mm -hmm. right? Digitalization and self-service uh, feed upon each other and uh, create a employment problem. Uh, I mean, in the medium term, we are moving away from anything that's... Uh, Uh, could be called full employment, right? And, uh, yes, uh, although I think we would need to qualify this because it's true that employment uh, took a dive at the time of the crisis. Right. But now, now, if you just look at it in a quantitative uh, sense, then it's back to a pre-crisis level. The problem is the quality of yeah, sure. uh, many of the new jobs because uh, a big majority, maybe not full as in the United States, but a big majority of uh, the new jobs are created in absolutely atypical jobs, gig economy, absolutely. and all the rest absolutely. of it. And you also have here the book by Guy Standing, of that, right. about the, the precarity, precarity. Yeah, uh, yeah. which is probably the crucial expression here right. to describe where the labor market uh, is moving. Has been going yeah. On. yeah, it's not unemployment, it is lousy employment, lousy kinds of employment yes. and unstable, precarious, fixed-term employment and, and, and so on, or... Uh, what they call pseudo mm -hmm. self-employment, right? right. And, and Bogus self-employment. That's, yeah, that's the terminology. Yeah, yes. I, I think so. And uh, I mean the, uh, the the category, which is not really appreciated, the category that the European Statistical uh, Office uh, invented in 2007, I believe, is NEET. N-E-E-T. That means people are not in employment, education, or training, and they are institutionally homeless. I mean, mm. this is a scandal and, and a, a real risk for uh, the people. Young people do not know where they belong, and this lack of orientation, of hope, of ambition, of a future uh, is what characterizes important trends in the labor market. So we we need to do something about that. Mm -hmm. Unemployment insurance is, of course, and that's one of your uh, accomplishments, to, to push that idea. It needs to be Europeanized because unemployment is the only social risk that comes in waves. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, very cyclical. A, a very cyclical, yeah. If, If 10 people are unemployed, this causes another 10 people to be unemployed, become uh, unemployed, and it's uh, mm -hmm. with the. Uh, so it spreads by itself. And of course, influenza spreads also, but it is not to the same extent. And that has, since the late 20s in Germany, the 1920s in Germany, uh, it has been uh, recognized. Can the risk of becoming unemployed. Is this insurable mm -hmm. or is it not because of this? It's also in contrast to accidents, for instance, or in contrast to health problems and certainly in contrast to aging. It is um, uh, not entirely free of uh, moral hazards mm -hmm. uh, problems and that has always used uh, as been used as an argument against 
yes. the insurability of unemployment risk. So we need to do something at the European uh, level and your proposals uh, to do so and and uh, uh, enter into a, a fiscal reform for the financing mm. of uh, uh, is very important. I'm not sure that it is will be enough. I think we need to discuss more radical, more far-reaching uh, additional uh, proposals. One proposal, uh, of course, is minimum wages. That is a very contested uh, yes. proposal, uh, not just between uh, countries. Uh, I mean, I remember outrageously stupid uh, comments on this uh, by the Austrian uh, Prime Minister Kurz, uh, mm -hmm. but it uh, is also not just a competition or a contest and a controversy between countries, but between the old question of state versus trade unions. Uh, yes. Who, who is in charge of wage determination? Trade unions uh, see their core business taken away from them Uh, and uh, uh, politicized in ways that uh, undermine their uh, existence, particularly uh, in uh, countries where they do have uh, a high rate of coverage by collective agreements, such as Sweden, the Sweden yes. thing, the Swedish thing. Well, maybe Sweden is an outlier, but It, in Germany, I think we have yeah, seen a very important same, yeah. evolution. Yeah. That 15, 20 years ago, uh, I think most Germans, including trade unions, were negative about the minimum wage. Not yeah, only but now Europe, it's a, a certain opening of the, of the debate. Yes. Yes. But maybe yes. it's because of a new interpretation, that it's not contradicting the core mission of the trade unions, but actually supports the trade unions okay. at a time That's, when membership has fallen to uh, some extent. Exactly. In, in other countries... It has evaporated quite significantly. Right. Yeah. Uh, there is no social partnership to any version of social dialogue comparable to Germany or Austria or the Netherlands. Right. And in those circumstances especially, it's mm. very important that there is some kind of standard which the European okay. Union would have the competence to oversee. Okay, absolutely. absolutely. That is a, a, a nice summary of, the, of the debate. <laughs> Trade unions, where they are strong, reject the proposal. Where they have been weakened by declining density and by the decline of multi-employer agreements. Mm -hmm. They think that may be not that bad an idea uh, to uh, involve the state in minimum <coughs> wages and there was a debate in Germany of course about minimum wages and the employers associations were yelling uh, say this destroys employment this destroys uh, the low skilled level of it doesn't it, mm -hmm. uh, nothing has happened and uh, I mean even much higher Uh, minimum uh, standards in the order of magnitude of 13 euro per hour mm -hmm. are now debated and uh, no one is alarmist about this anymore. And uh, I think that is an important thing. But coming back to the more radical proposals, I, I think uh, the Germany is a special case. Uh, 20% of the total workforce of, uh, are busy with manufacturing in in Germany, which is an outlier uh, mm -hmm. uh, by international standards. 9% in the United Kingdom, 10% in the United States. 
and Germany uh, is, uh, as, as they used to say in the back in the 70s and 80s, over-industrialized. But this is too much, mm -hmm. uh, and this is not going to last. Especially in some sectors. I mean, yes. it's almost a taboo to mention automobiles in that mm -hmm. uh, in that uh, context. I mean, this I didn't. <laughs> you did, but uh, broke that uh, taboo. But but uh, everyone knows that this is not going to last, particularly if, in the interest of climate policy, uh, we switch to uh, uh, hopefully hopefully uh, uh, hydrogen. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, technology and not to batteries, but uh, but uh, that is a matter that is hotly debated uh, uh, right now. Hopefully, we bypass uh, uh, batteries and go directly to uh, to uh, hydrogen uh, energy. But that is a side uh, side road. Anyway, uh, there's three options or three proposals that according to some visionary uh, writers uh, fit together and I must say they have convinced me to, to an extent uh, one is uh, give up opposition to artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and um, algorithms uh, algorithms mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. as, as uh, production technology give I mean there's all kinds of old left uh, uh, opposition. It is going to come anyway, and mm -hmm. it is uh, welcome in, mm -hmm. in many fields. So no one should uh, think of a Luddite or mm -hmm. neo-Luddite sure. uh, uh, approach, first thing. This, we, we have to cope with a, uh, with a situation where uh, decent, standardized, non-precarious employment is going to decline very massively. So we need a basic income. We need a, not, a, a, not a minimum wage, but a basic income. That is a switch from the worker-focused intuition of uh, social policy to a citizen Focus. Mm -hmm. right? The citizen is the bearer of claims mm -hmm. and not the worker who has uh, transfer payments. Mm -hmm. uh, it is the citizen. And how this is uh, being implemented is hotly contested. Right now, the basic income movement, which I uh, helped to start in 1986 with uh, seven people coming together and, and start the basic income European network. Now it's called Earth Network, it has 40. Anyway, so, so this is a certain success, but an intense debate on, on basic income. And the experimentation in Finland and many other places has mixed results. Uh, I, I think a, a stepping stone in between uh, would be uh, 10 years of basic income claims uh, where you can withdraw from employment mm -hmm. uh, at any given point in t of time. I made a proposal for the OECD to that effect, provided that you take at least six months out of your time account per case where you withdraw from mm -hmm. from labor. That would be so. The, the labor market can only be balanced from the supply side, not from the demand side. Mm -hmm. uh, so that you, uh, so time is a very important variable, and. Uh, there is a trade-off or competition between the modes of reward through free time versus money. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, there are rational reasons for employees to prefer money over time because mm-hmm. time is not by itself attractive. Time uh, is attractive if you have the money, the money, the complementary money that is you need to spend it in satisfactory ways. Mm-hmm. And so, so there, in, in, there is an inherent uh, hesitation mm-hmm. of, and quite rational, so, uh, to accept work time reductions. Mm-hmm. We have to pay our houses and uh, other other things, and we need money mm-hmm. to do that. So, so there will be a, there's a reluctance also on the part of trade unions to engage in a radical working time reduction strategy mm-hmm. and, and anyway so this this is uh, but you think this is a hopeful direction I, I think direction. that if, uh, yes uh, it is if you provide the option also I mean one problem you can save money mm-hmm. there's hundreds of euros in January and 100 euros in February make 200 in March, right? You cannot do the same with, with time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Time is sticky. You, know? you can spend it at the time you have it, right? But yeah. you cannot transfer to a later point in, in time. These are all things. But I think options to opt out uh, for a meaningful period of time, say six months or so, uh, and uh, receive a minimum income as a citizen and not as a worker is uh, essential. And uh, the third element in this uh, visionary package of uh, automation, uh, free time, uh, and basic uh, is basic income. Uh, you need claims uh, uh, claims of citizens to a income, and uh, and and that is uh, must be uh, sufficient to prevent poverty. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, this, of course, that is uh, very uh, counterintuitive, uh, given the consumerist culture that we all are part of. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would be nice to have non-market uh, uses of free time where you do not need money to travel, for instance, mm-hmm. or uh, do not need money uh, to earn money. Uh, but a non-monetized system of a barter economy where you exchange uh, services and goods uh, with other households without going through a market. For instance, voucher-driven or parallel currency. So there are a lot of uh, experiments. And if you go to Amsterdam, you see uh, this in practice. Yes. And there is, I think, at least implicitly a rivalry between the concept of the basic income and the basic services. Yes. Okay. That is the British debate now with Anna Kut and and so Yes. Uh, I think the two do not exclude each other, mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, polemics that Anna and others, including her husband, Gaff, uh, are launching is a bit overdrawn. Uh, free education and free health mm-hmm. can also be part of the package of mm-hmm. citizen rights mm-hmm. and uh, should be considered as, as such. And I mean, Bernie Sanders has uh, introduced the idea of free tertiary education, free college education, mm-hmm. and was very successful in the American campaign. 
Well, some mm. European countries know this practice, but it's a new idea in the United States. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with all this innovation which you describe, artificial intelligence, time yeah, management, yeah. would you still frame it in the future as a welfare state? Would you still run this debate under the umbrella of social justice? Or we need new concepts? Uh, I mean, it, it is uh, contrary to uh, the conventional terminology. It goes much further. It is a, what they used to call in Germany. It's not social policy. It is societal policy. The arrangement of work and uh, uh, work-life balance, right? Yes. And and uh, the, the in a way anti-consumerist and in that sense. A green uh, design of life courses that are environmentally compatible, right? That's, uh, but that uh, uh, requires reorientation of everyday uh, framing and thinking uh, about uh, uh, problems that will take a generation or two to implement. But uh, in the broader sense, cultural reorientation of our lifestyles and values uh, will be required, and people know this. But the costs of change and the anticipated uh, counterforces are so great that uh, not everyone is willing to say that in public. And uh, even the Greens, who uh, are the natural protagonists of uh, such ideas, are very cautious, are becoming very cautious in Germany, and they concentrate on climate, because uh, every uh, weather report on every radio station is a contribution to their campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, they have 23% of the vote in Germany right now because of the climate issue. But it has to be put in a broader context and involves all these things on uh, on work, on life course, on pensions, on social security, on precariousness that need to be addressed in a European context. A national uh, uh, context is uh, uh, insufficient. It needs to be European and we know this from the from labor market and mm -hmm. unemployment insurance, but we also should address um, Pensions at the next. What we see is a, a long-term trend towards um, what, what the, the, the elegant term is responsibilization. Mm -hmm. right? So you are not a recipient of claims; you are the master of your own fate, and, yes. and that means save in time right? and in, invest in time. The, the privatization of uh, social social risks. Uh, uh, and the former student of mine nicely uh, put it, uh, uh, Albina Asmanova, it used to be the case that a social contract is established in which risks and opportunities are in a balance. But now we are approaching a social structure where some are opportunity rich and risk poor. They do not... And these are the happy few, right? Mm -hmm. um, far beyond the one percent. Uh, I mean, we both belong to uh, to that category. And uh, there are people who are risk rich, 
affected by re and opportunity poor, right? And we should rebalance risk and opportunity. It's not a particular leftist idea. It's the basic of basic of a social contract can be easily accommodated within the framework of, uh, I mean, liberal political thought. Uh, so we need to do something at the European level about those who are more than proportionally affected by risk. And uh, uh, if you want to call that social policy, call it that way, but it's much broader than this. And we need to stop the standards uh, that uh, we spend money for the old. Mm -hmm. We need to provide services for the young. Yesterday, Spring Anderson has been preaching mm -hmm. this uh, for a long uh, time. Uh, so, uh, to an extent, the elderly, uh, due to their demographic majority and mm -hmm. their political impact, bias the development of the welfare state in their favor, particularly as even the middle generation knows we will be never be young again. We will be old and we join the alliance of the elderly. Uh, I think that needs to be counteracted. Mm -hmm. We need to do something for families, for yeah. uh, education, uh, urban developments that provide sufficient uh, housing uh, for the younger middle generation at the expense of the often very well-to-do elderly who have succeeded in their policy of uh, defending uh, pensions. Yes. So their rebalancing among the cohorts is uh, called for. Yes, we started the conversation with the image of the trap regarding the yes, European yes. Union. Maybe at the end um, um, I could ask you whether you see uh, a chance to avoid two types of traps. One trap is to become very technocratic because we have a huge mm. amount of analytical base and knowledge, but then that draws us into a very technocratic approach mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. social engineering in a way. Mm -hmm. And the other trap is that when we speak about the sustainability and rebalancing, then the discussion about the future of work and the future of welfare becomes filled with anxiety that people would need to mm -hmm. abandon something rather mm -hmm. than having an opportunity of improving the quality of their lives. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. How to avoid these two traps, yes. especially in the European context? Yeah, that question that needs uh, at least two hours more time of our time. Uh, first question. Technocratic means apolitical, antipolitical, outside of the public debate. And um, I mean, our political parties and uh, staff of ministries and, and so on are uh, rightly afraid uh, that uh, if they say some things, uh, the media will punish them for mm -hmm. uh, for expressing unconventional ideas. They, they are shy publicity shy uh, and that's what technocrats are they use a language that is very hard to understand and it fails in campaigns and uh, they are pushed by necessities rather by desirabilities mm -hmm. and uh, political parties are compliant uh, with this I mean very few uh, people and that includes to my amazement the Green Party in Germany very few people uh, are uh, 
there to be explicit in political terms about what it costs and what cannot be avoided and what must be uh, considered desirable uh, and so on. And that brings you to this, uh, brings me to the second question. Uh, I mean, um, there is an old saying, even paranoids have enemies, right? There are reasons for fear and, mm -hmm. and not all, all fears Uh, manufactured yes. by populists and, mm -hmm. and so on. Uh, but it is also the, the case uh, that the earlier we manage to do something about these problems, the less reason there will be for uh, fear. If the fear is allowed to paralyze us into inaction, uh, then it becomes self-justifying, right? Uh, the same, I mean... This is the stern report of 2006 on environmental affairs. The sooner we act, the more realistic will be uh, desirable outcomes. And the longer we wait out of fear, uh, uh, the more justified fear uh, becomes and more expensive solutions uh, become in, in uh, various dimensions. So, uh, but of course we need political courage and uh, missing in many, uh, I mean, electoral periods are four or five years and um, you need to show voters, your constituency, something uh, within five years. Long term, there is no premium on long term thinking mm -hmm. in, in uh, uh, politics. And, uh, I mean, uh, the miserable state of European social democracy is another factor. But m many, many things uh, can be done on the basis of uh, coalitions such as they are being formed, new coalitions being formed in the European Parliament and other places. I'm not very optimistic, but uh, there is a learning, enormous learning pro uh, pressure in the in the situation, and people will have to develop the courage to uh, think of in new ways about an entirely new situation. So, learning and courage are needed. Yeah. Thank you very much, Professor Offe, for your uh, thoughts and for your time. Um, I hope um, many more people in this Kremail, Berlin Mitte, would support uh, what you also endorsed, a minimum wage coordination in the European level, unemployment insurance or reinsurance, yeah. and similar ideas to strengthen our societies for the future. That was Feb Stokes from Berlin uh, this time, and thank you very much for your attention. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.